Well, uh, I guess y'all have, I guess, obviously spoken. This is Madeline. Madeline, this is Sky. Hi. Hey, um, finally, face to face in person. I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess we can jump on into it. I'm pretty pumped about doing this one. Yeah. Uh, you wrote an essay about Caligari, right? I did in grad school. It was, uh, I actually was trying to reread it just briefly before, before, we, uh, before we started <laughs> this. Because I haven't watched it since, you know, two, two and a half years ago. Um, so I was just trying to remember, like, what did I write? What were some of the things that I wanted to talk about? And I luckily have been refreshed. So I think I'm, I'm good to go. Good. All right. Well, then uh, I guess we'll jump right on into it. Cool. Cool. Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. Uh, and I have two guests with us today. The first one is friend of the show, Sky Tilly. Hey, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we're also joined by a first-time guest, uh, my sister, and uh, writer, uh, published writer, uh, marketer, uh, and uh, also semi-professional athlete, uh, Madeline Davis. Made me sound significantly more qualified than I am. I'm excited to be here. She's been in a Facebook televised roller derby bout. I've been in a, actually, we're in a Netflix. Oh, yeah. Netflix I forgot about that. Series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. If you guys want to, I don't know why you would, but if you ever want to watch some uh, Big Tribe roller derby, the Netflix uh, docuseries home game, I think we're like episode four, three or four. Uh, you can see me smash my face into the track and split my jaw open. It's very exciting. So. Yeah, see? So she's she's just as qualified as I described. <laughs> that sounds horrific. <laughs> Part of the price of sport, I suppose. I mean, I guess. Depending on the sport. Depending on the sport. Uh, most sports I, like, intentionally didn't do anymore because, um, like, if it was remotely contact sport, I would foul out of the game. But in roller derby, you're supposed to foul out. Like, you're supposed to hit people. So yeah. that's really fun for me. Cool. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just, so... Just a very violent person. <laughs> Incredibly. And that's why the horror genre is perfect yeah, for her. and that's why that works. And that's yeah. why we're all here, to talk about horror. Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, speaking of sports real fast, I played basketball very recreationally, not professionally, not even on a, a team. You know, I was just playing. Someone passed me the basketball, jammed my finger, haven't picked up a basketball since. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so I can't imagine doing what you do. I think that that's just wild. Awesome. No, yeah, it's it certainly isn't something that that I would would do. I used to do contact sports and and not so much. Um, but it's uh, an exciting time. Uh, this is the first time that these two have have met before. Uh, but they're both people who are very into horror, and they're both people who uh, have opinions that I respect and and value. Uh, Madeline is one of the first people that got me into watching some horror films growing up. Uh, and we've been to several since. Uh, one of my favorites is our Sunday morning viewing of The Witch mm. uh, when we went to it in theaters while everyone was at church. Um, oh, yeah. That was great. Yeah. And 
Sky actually wrote an essay on one of the two films that we're going to be talking about, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a decent essay, if I had to say so. <laughs> I thought it was okay. <laughs> it was incredible, and I'm certain of it. Sight unseen. <laughs> I know it was tremendous. Um, but no, I think that it's going to be a good time. I decided that we should go back. You know, we recently have done some older content on the show. We did um, The Invisible Man from the 30s. We did Casablanca from the 40s. We did two films from the 50s. So we've recently been going and doing some more historic stuff. And I wanted to have our Halloween month be kind of like, you know, a nice grab bag of a lot of different types of content. So um, it felt appropriate to go back to like the silent era. Because uh, I don't yeah. think that a lot of people think about the silent era having horror films. Um, you know, in I my just, opinion, I think the silent era of horror films, especially German expressionist uh, horror films, I think they're in some ways far more terrifying than what we see today. And I think it was because of the practical use and just the limitations that they had on uh, on film productions. Yeah, no, I agree. Actually, we, we talked a little bit. I, we weren't talking about horror films specifically. I think maybe we were talking about, uh, actually, I think Lord of the Rings. But um, we were talking <laughs> the other day about how, um, like, I really think practical effects are more terrifying a lot of times. And they definitely hold up so much better than CGI, which I know everyone like, goes hard nowadays for CGI. But um, I agree with you. No. I think uh, a lot of, like, old black and white films, a lot of like old silent films. Um, well, for one thing, I think, you know, it's easy now for us to look back at these things and be like, well, that's not that terrifying. Or like, I've seen this plot like a million times, but um, remembering the fact that like, for a lot of these films, that was like the first time people were seeing this like particular plot or um, getting that particular uh, story. And yeah, I think um, even just, we were talking like Nosferatu and the use of the different kind of like color filters to uh, symbolize different times of day and kind of in, you know, create these different moods and things like that. Um, or like sort of the set pieces in like Caligari and um, just like so much more creative the way they used the space around them to sort of really invoke particular moods. I think uh, it's very atmospheric and I think sometimes modern films miss some of that atmospheric element. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know you guys just mentioned The Witch, you know, but Eggers, he does such a great job mm -hmm. at bringing you to that atmosphere, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, his movies are very not for everybody. I completely get that. But if you want to talk about atmosphere and capturing mm -hmm. that perfect creepy moment, he's, he's a master at it. No, for sure. Um, so the, the Sky mentioned uh, German Expressionism. Uh, that's the sort of time period, I guess, specifically that we're dealing with with both of our films, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and, and Nosferatu, uh, which are both uh, from the 1920s, 1920, and 1922. Uh, and they are both kind of perfect examples of, of the genre, but in very different uh, ways that they tackle it. And, um, you know, one of them, one of them, of course, has its own mythology around it. Uh, and, and the production of it that has become also a film itself, Nosferatu. There have been like multiple Nosferatu remakes and and that sort of thing, which is interesting since it's just a Dracula ripoff. Um, but we can get into that further. Uh, 
but kind of without ado, you know, we don't have a clip. It's a silent film, and I didn't think that there was really any point. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> play the play the clip. Play the clip. We'll, we'll wait. Uh, so, I think that we'll just sort of jump right into it. With uh, we'll go chronologically with the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and uh, Sky. Do you want? Uh, I'll I'll give us, of course, the the synopsis and the and the cast and everything. Uh, the synopsis is hypnotist Dr. Caligari uses a somnambulist, Caesar, to commit murders, directed by Robert uh, Vine, and starring Werner Krauss, Conrad Veidt as Caesar, uh, Friedrich Fair, Lil Dagover, Hans Heinrich von Twardowski, and Rudolf Lettinger. Uh, I'm like sixty percent sure you pronounce those names correctly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll take the sixty. I'll give you sixty. Uh, take it away, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So I watched this film at UNCG. Uh, we had a, the same instructor, I think, Frank Donaldson, and he showed it, and I kind of immediately fell in love with it. Uh, I grew up being a big Tim Burton fan and hadn't really ever been exposed to German expressionist films. You know, when I saw this, I was like, okay, this is obviously a huge inspiration for Tim Burton. Like this film, the way that they use geometric shapes and shadows and chiaroscura lighting, like all of it really just adds up to, this is Tim Burton right here. Uh, if he was a filmmaker in the 1920s, he would have made something like this. Um, so it had a, a big effect on me. And then when I went to grad school, we were doing an international uh, history of film. And this was one of the ones that we tackled uh, for Germany, obviously. Um, and I was like, okay, great. I loved this film. I hadn't seen it in a while. I'll watch it again. And then the professor for the class was like, uh, now you're gonna have to write a paper on one of Two you're gonna have to write two papers this semester, one on one film and one on a different film. And I knew I wanted to write something on uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, it was a difficult paper, obviously, because in 1920, there's not a lot of information that you can really dig into. Um, but what I did find interesting about this was how I believe it to be an allegory for World War I uh which i think is very interesting if you really think about it in that context and i can explain that a little bit further but um but yeah i mean i really enjoyed this film and i would love to hear what you guys think first yeah man why don't <laughs> um okay yeah no so um i think i saw this movie actually this year for the first time ever um i kind of shudder about and start going through like old horror films because they have like a, a whole collection of them like uh what is it white zombie and dr caligari and all that kind of stuff um and yeah you know i i saw it and i, I immediately actually really really loved it we were like we were talking last night about which one we like more uh caligari or nosferatu and yeah just i really loved caligari i loved the sort of um like framing for the story where it opens with you know you think you're talking to this man about this like tragic event that happened in his past and you know then you kind of go back into the story itself and then of course you know 
I guess I was about to say no spoilers, but also like that movie came out. It's a hundred years old. So it's literally, literally. Yeah, so spoilers. So yeah, of course you find out in the end that like he's one of the patients at the asylum and this whole thing is just kind of like this elaborate um sort of like delusion. Um yeah. And yeah, I loved it and I I loved just the hyper stylized um set um the makeup for everyone like it was just so beautifully done it, it really did such a great job of um just like again the framing of the storytelling itself but also the visual aspects did such a great job of really like drawing you in and then again thinking back on it and thinking about the fact that it is kind of like this one person solution and how perception of reality can be so distorted and like kind of seeing that in like a very visual sense for me I thought that was like yeah. a super fascinating really cool um I don't know I just I really I really really loved it I really liked the whole the whole the whole thing no notes it was great well yeah. done <laughs> um no I I think that, you know, it's it's obviously like one of the earliest examples of this sort of story that at this point we're we're familiar with, you know, the the it turns out that that they were the the insane one. Um but it does so in such this you know, very interesting way, you know, it's it's very theatrical obviously because the whole thing is is structured in in acts like a play would be. And mm -hmm. so it has this kind of way of snaking back around to just like a play would to this kind of surprise reveal, you know, in the final act, you know, the sixth act. Oh, you know. Yeah. And I think that it really, really works in favor of the story. Um, it's such a specific film visually that like, you know, you see it once and you immediately have those visuals kind of stuck in your head. Because even though right. you've seen things like it before, it's it's kind of like you finally saw the first version of them, you know, for the first time on a certain right. level. Um, kind of like why why going back to the first Jurassic Park always still has its wonder when you see the dinosaurs again. You know, it's because that's the first version of this thing on screen, yeah. and it's it's presented very splendidly. Um, you know, they don't try to hide the fact that you you can see the sets; they lean into it you know um all four set pieces yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's like four set pieces throughout the whole movie <laughs> um but it's it's pretty incredible you know that that they just sort of throw such abandon to the wind you know and and you're aware of of the fact that everything that you're looking at is unreal but it doesn't matter because it's it's very much intentionally doing that um and so you can you you can ignore it and you can pay attention to what the story actually is mm -hmm. um honestly you know if i only the only thing that that's truly a bummer on this thing is is that i need someone to come in with a better score you know that thing <laughs> <laughs> that music is just so plink a dink a dink a dink a dink a dink there are a, a few certain... <laughs> yeah there are a few uh versions on youtube you can find that have different music uh with them i think if you find the one on like tubi or a streaming service it's probably a little bit more of like you know whichever one that they chose but there's some great ones on youtube where they did a pretty good job with some scoring yeah uh yeah i mean i think it's a you know they did so much with very little right like i mean i'm not kidding like it is like four set pieces throughout the whole movie there's very minimal lighting 
you know, but when it is lighting, it's it's very harsh. You got that chiaroscuro lighting that they use. Um, but also, I think when we're going back and you're watching these old classic films, you have to look at theme, right? And I think, you know, if we were to talk about, you know, how this is potentially an allegory for World War One. Well, Germany had just lost World War One, right? And they were hitting it hard. And the peak age, or so science seems to think, is 23. So I am far beyond peak age. I am practically dead at this point. Uh, but 23 was the peak age, and Caesar has been asleep for 23 years. So when he wakes up, it's, it's safe to assume that the, the, the guy is 23 years old, and his first command is to kill for me, right? Caligari says kill. And I think it's kind of interesting if you think about it, you have German soldiers enlisting, and they're, for, they're ordered to kill, right? And then you actually have um, another moment. I think the character's name was Alan. Uh, but he asked Caesar, you know, when will I die? Uh, you know, he, that's what he wants to know. He, it's, it's his burning question. And uh, Caesar replies, you die at dawn. And it's very interesting if you think about it, right after World War I, you know, like that was all that was on their minds, really. It wasn't really escapism. It was, let's talk about this horrific thing. And a lot of soldiers, you know, they didn't see dawn. So I think it's very interesting if you think about it, um, how Caesar kind of represents uh, the German soldier. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I think I think that's like a, a super interesting point. And I, I, I wonder too how that kind of impacted when you talk again about like the very harsh angles being kept lighting. Um, you know, it's a depiction of a world as like a very harsh at times, kind of frightening, like yeah. visually, um, sort of like representation of like this notion of, to your point, yeah, like the horrors of war and maybe disillusionment with society and life. Um, yeah. coming back from that and coming out of that. Um, and so I think, yeah, definitely you can see that both in the storytelling elements and, you know, I wonder how much that impacted even some of those visual choices as well. Yeah, well, the whole big theme, right, is madness, is people going mad and crazy. So I think, you know, hysteria was definitely on their minds, especially right after that. Um, but another thing they did visually that I thought was very interesting too, um, is how people of power are on elevated platforms. Yeah. And you have um, the main character, I don't remember his name right now, but uh, everyone is so small. You have the police, they're sitting high. You have the psych wards, they're sitting high. If you wanna get to the, the hospital, you have to ascend some stairs. Yeah. Everything else is low on the ground. It's just very interesting how they tackled um, class and society as well, yeah. especially in the grand scheme once you know the, uh, the yeah, twist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think also the sitting up high almost makes them look childish mm, because the way that too. he has to like tuck up his feet, that's it almost true. looks like a child sitting in a high chair. Feels like a false sense of authority almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's That's up fair. high, but it's undermined by how clownish it makes mm -hmm. you look and the way that you have to like clamber down yeah. to get yeah. down to my level. Yeah. Um, no, that's a really that's a really astute and interesting about about them being up high. I hadn't really considered mm -hmm. that. That was a really good point. Um, 
And then like going back to it being, you know, uh, him being an allegory for the soldier, when you finally do get to the reveal of the reality at the end, he's also almost kind of shell-shocked. You know, he doesn't speak, he doesn't really interact, he just kind of is there. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he's almost suffering from some form of like PTSD a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Pretty interesting. Yeah, no, super intriguing. And I I do think it is really interesting too, just from the standpoint of like, because they do talk about like coming out of like World War One and World War Two with this idea of like being shell shocked and mental illness and how like I mean even now in modern times like there's still so many stigmas around mental illness and like not dealing with like things like soldiers with PTSD and the difficulty of reintegrating back into society. Um, and also just yeah, I mean like the world both world wars were especially over in like places like Europe where they were inactive where the Pacific, I mean, whole populations experienced that. And I even think, you know, like yeah, he might be the sort of like embodiment of the soldier, but like thinking too about like all of those characters, because I think his like uh what's her name, Jane is mm-hmm. also she ends up in the asylum as well. She's like whole they talk about, you know, whole generations of people essentially like decimated and reeling and trying to make sense of life in the world again after the fall of World War One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. You know, um, I'm trying to remember, like I said, it's been a little bit since I have seen it, but the end, is there like an ending frame of Caligari kind of looking at the camera and you don't know if he's really bad or if he's really good? I'm trying to remember. I think maybe. Dear, do you remember I don't the remember. last frame of the movie? Of Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. What's what's? Does it end on Caligari? Oh yes, yes. It ends. It ends with. It ends with the doctor finishing out, and he goes, "And I know exactly how to cure him." Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it just sort of stops there. And it actually, if you if you watch it, um, it it's like a dot 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 that mm-hmm. ends it. It's not even like a period. It's yeah. an ellipses. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It was almost, I think, you know, I think it works, but I wonder if it works better if, you know, I think they had to have that kind of like horrific moment, like, oh my God, is he really crazy? Is he not really crazy? But at the same time, I think it kind of undoes a little bit of what they set up before with Caesar being at the hospital and all these other characters being at the hospital classic horror movie ending problem you decide to go for the ambiguous thing (laughs) i know it ruins the whole damn thing (laughs) yeah it's crazy how long that trope has been around you know it's it's nothing new it's crazy um you know i think what's interesting too about this movie is there are a lot of static shots right like you couldn't really move around this gigantic camera and i think you had to rely on close-ups and some medium shots but for the most part like when you get in on Caligari's eyes behind those goggles, those thick goggles, and he looks like the penguin from uh, Batman uh, Returns, he, he looks just like Danny DeVito. And I'm like, you know, it, I get creeped out just when I see him and he's just wondering, his eyes just wondering. It's very effective, even today, I think. Yeah, no, um, I think, yeah, to, to your point, you know, 
the set pieces were pretty minimum. There's not a whole lot of like graphics or other things you can rely on. And so like the actors themselves just do such a phenomenal job of just like, and again, like this is like no sound, no audio, but just with like their faces doing such an incredible job of like conveying an eeriness. And yeah, like his character throughout the whole thing was super unnerving. Um, and yeah, like watching him or again, even like last night watching uh, Nosferatu, like Max, like this is the actor Max Shrek. He's mm-hmm. like super, super creepy. All of his movements are so unsettling. Um, yeah. I think there's just like such a wonderful job those actors did of, um, you know, just with like tiny face movements or just the way they move their bodies, like conveying such like an eerie other world sort of quality. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. I think that Germany and German cinema in the early, you know, part of, of the 20th century, you look at their horror films like this, but then you also look at their their sort of thrillers like M, mm-hmm. where they're tackling these very, very lofty social concepts through very grounded, very interesting storytelling. Um you know, because uh, M is about mob justice. You know, this movie is about um, madness. Uh, Nosferatu is is about you know sexuality and lust and things like that and, and sexual impropriety. Um, and so they're they're very interesting and and they're they're very fascinating performers. You know, you look mm-hmm. at all of the actors across all of these films and they know how to imbue it with a certain theatricality um, that's necessary for, for all of these stories. And, and they find that, that weird unsettling place across all three of those films, you know, uh, that just makes them lasting and memorable and chilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, what, um, you know, the, the scene where Caesar comes to uh, kill the girl, you know, he almost dances his way yeah. to her with that lighting and those shadows and those geometric shapes it really does uh kind of put you on edge and it's it's just awesome i think just how they were able to capture that and that kind of movement is far past the notion of being a sleepwalker you know the the idea of a somnambulist as like a just a sleepwalker you know it was really more this idea of, of essentially like a night stalker mm-hmm. um mm-hmm that was using this sort of pat language to, to, to cover it, but he's way more than walking. It is very nimble, very lithe sort of movement dancer like. Um, And I don't remember, but I I don't remember, but at the end, yeah, very much like a Doug Jones performance Uh, at the end, you know, you see uh, Caesar and he's holding the flowers. Does he mention that he was like a dancer? Does Caligari mention that? This was this is such and such. He was a dancer or a performer or something. I don't remember. I could be just kind of like looking into that more than I. I don't I remember. Can't remember off the top of my head. I think he does give like brief descriptions as to who these For characters are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember what all he said. But yeah, no, I mean, they do all tie in for sure. Yeah, they all tie yeah. in some of like their behaviors in this kind of like story. Um, mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I love how this movie starts and ends though. Like it's such a great button 
for the for the beginning you have him sitting it looks like he's at like a cemetery and he's talking to this old guy and then at the very end it's like oh they're in a courtyard right in the mental hospital Mm -hmm. i just thought that that was just so so good brilliant Yeah, well, and I liked it too because, uh, and maybe, maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, but I also feel like that courtyard, that opening scene, and even uh, in the end, up until they go back into the asylum, like it, it felt more like grounded in reality. Like you could just kind of be like outside somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, once you get into this story, it becomes like hyper, hyper stylized. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um, I think it's a really great movie. It's one that I think about a lot. It's not one that I watch a lot, but I do think that it is um, a fascinating film. And I think that it's, it's definitely worth bringing to people's attention, you know, so they, they can go back and see where so many things were, were born yeah. and where so many people were influenced. And I can, I can get into a little bit on, on why this film in particular um, not this film, but but German film in particular, I guess, part of the reason that it was so influential, I'll do the history lesson now, why not? Um, part of the reason it was so influential was, uh, first of all, there was a, an agreement between Paramount Studios and UFA, the German national cinema uh, group, called the Perufamet Agreement that essentially allowed for American films to be distributed in Germany and German films to be distributed in America. And it influenced a lot of American filmmakers in the 20s who then went on to make films in the 30s and 40s and onward. Furthermore, uh, because of World War II, you had, of course, a mass exodus of a lot of German talent that left from that film world to Hollywood. Third, Alfred Hitchcock actually worked in German cinema during the 20s and was very influenced. Uh, And... Uh, fourth of all, obviously, you just have the fact that there was an audience who grew up watching these people who were influenced by these things who went back and looked at where it all came from. And that's where you get to people like Tim Burton. Um, so that's kind of how these things became so influential in a very crash course way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they still have so much value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know it's been over 20 years at this point, but you know, Rob Zombie's video for Living Dead Girl yeah. copies The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari completely. Like, he does his own retelling of it. So, I mean, there's some great saying power with these films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you said... The... Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Fair, like, uh, you know, watching it when I first saw Caligari, too, I was like, oh, like, Shutter Island's kind of whole plot definitely <laughs> yeah. riffs very heavily on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like you were saying is, uh, you know, this isn't a film that you can just go back and just watch every couple of years, you know, something like that. It's it's more of like, okay, I just want to sit down. And if you want to view it analytically, you know, through that kind of lens and not really through like an audience lens, then I think it's a great film. Very much like the 1976 Dawn of the Dead. Uh, Was yeah. it 78, 76? I, the old I one. Think it's, yeah. The Romero 70... one. <laughs> Dear, is, is Romero's Dawn of the Dead 76 or 77? 78. 78. Okay. What a great year for horror. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Uh, what is it? 
She's second guessing it. Uh, if it came out the same year as Halloween, that's a great year. Huh? I thought it did. Mm-hmm. I thought it came out the same year as Halloween. Because weren't they, they were both like relatively like low budget horror films. Mm-hmm. And I think they came out the same year. Yeah. 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 I have Google. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on my laptop. I can check. Um, no, yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I think that, that it's definitely one of those one of those touchstone films that, that you look at from an analytical perspective. Um, so Sky, if you if you had to rate it out of five, what would what would you give it? Hmm. I'd give it a five. I would. I'd, I'd give it a five uh, based off of, you know, do I enjoy it? Sure. But I, I enjoy it as, you know, like a an appreciative person of, of film, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not like, oh, this is a great popcorn flick. It's something where I'm like, man, they did so much for so little. Like, this is a stage production that they filmed, you know, and they did it very well. It's a very compelling story. And like you said, it is Shutter Island. And I love Shutter mm-hmm. Island. So, yeah, I think it's a five. Okay. Matt, what about you? I, I agree. I really think uh, I've got to give it a five, too. Yeah, I I don't know if this is just like a turn your mind off, eat some popcorn, and watch kind of a, a flick. But um, I don't know. Like, I just I think the storytelling's so wonderful. It's like such a cool, intriguing premise. Um, visually, I think it's just like so, like arresting. I I really like the visuals of it. Um, yeah, I have to give it a five. I, I really love it. Honestly. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll I'll be the contrarian here. Oh, wow. okay. Four and a half. Wow. <laughs> you have you have to explain what knocked off the half point. Uh, for, for, just because I don't want to watch it every once in a while. <laughs> you know. Uh, Nosferatu is one, even though I think that there is less going on for it at a certain narrative level. Just, but I'll get into that in a little while. I don't want to, you know, put the put the cart before the horse. Um, I can say no. real fast, it is more visually interesting in terms of location. Yeah, with Nosferatu, you know, with with Cabinet of Caligari, it's like okay, we're back at the same set we were just at. There's only so much you can do, you know. But I, I uh, think that for me, it's just that that little bit of, I don't want to watch it this year, you know, kind <laughs> of like attitude, you know. Like if someone was like, "We're gonna watch it," I'd be like, "No, we're not." <laughs> that's fair, and that's the only thing. That's okay. Um, but honestly, like, and I'm just being, I'm just being a stickler. I'm just being a curmudgeon. Um, but uh, moving on, we now have. Our next film from two years later, uh, Nosferatu, and the premise is just the plot of Dracula. I'm not even honestly going to read you what it what it says. It's just the plot of Dracula. If you know, idiot man, idiot real estate agent goes to castle, gets ensnared by weird European man. Weird European man comes back to try and have sex with his wife. That's the plot of Dracula and Nosferatu. Yeah. And that's because, for a little history, F.W. Murnau, the director of the film, 
tried to go and get the rights to Dracula, and the Stoker family said, no. Yeah. And so he said, well, then I'm just going to do a little copy, (laughs) copy, paste, change the names. And so uh, Dracula became Orlock, played infamously by Max Schreck. Um, And then you also have Alexander Grenach, uh, Gustav von Wagenheim, and Greta Schroeder. Um, 70%. 70% this time. (laughs) (laughs) I know which name, I know which name messed me up, and and I accept it. Overall, um, I'll actually start this one. So Nosferatu, the first time that I saw it, was the 11th grade in high school film class. Uh, Eric Whiteside was my teacher. And he wanted to do a Halloween double feature for the month of October. You know, you only had like 45 minutes for the period, so you couldn't really watch a whole movie. Uh, And he wanted to do a double feature of Nosferatu and Shadow of the Vampire, the film about the making, the fictional film about the making of Nosferatu. And I loved it. I thought that it was the best shit I had ever seen. Is that Uh, the one with Willem Dafoe? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich. Yeah. And so... It was incredible. And he told me, like, you know, he told the whole class the story of how uh, F.W. Murnau tried to hype up the publicity of the film by insisting that he had found an actual vampire to play a vampire. Um, And he really went out of his way to just, like, be his own press agent. And Murnau was kind of like, by some people's definition, a little bit of like a snake oil salesman of a filmmaker. Like, he drummed up his success. Some early day viral marketing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh They're really dead. (laughs) (laughs) It's a snuff film. (laughs) Don't mind that they're going to be appearing on The Tonight Show. It's totally fine. They're dead. They're dead. (laughs) <laughs> it's real. <laughs> but uh, no, and like it ended up becoming like a whole thing where some people were like, it's not a vampire, but it's also not Max Shrek. It's a pseudonym for a different actor. Like it really just took off. And that's also why if you watch these movies on Shudder, mm-hmm. both of them are from the Murnau Foundation is because that son of a bitch ended up making a name. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. I watched it on, um, I think, what did I watch it on? Tubi. I think I watched it on Tubi. I wish I would have known it was on Shudder. I would have watched it on Shudder. Um, it was so new. what's interesting, I don't know about the one that you guys watched, but the one on Tubi, they actually use the names from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh. They don't use the names from Nosferatu. So when I'm looking, when I went back and I looked at the synopsis, uh, which is something I typically do whenever I watch a movie is I'll go back and just read the synopsis. And they're using the names from Nosferatu. I'm like, hang on. What did I watch? <laughs> do I need to go back and watch the real movie at this point? But yeah, it was, it was wild. That must be some sort of weird holdover, I guess, of like the settlement in some capacity. 
I mean, the whole time we were watching it, I was like, it's discount Van Helsing. It's <laughs> like they say Van it? Helsing yeah. in the in Nosferatu. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's uh, very very. Also, you mentioned earlier, just an aside, that you thought um, the the uh, insane asylum director made you think of Danny DeVito, and also the guy who played uh, like the vampire's little like, knock knock. That's it. I was like, also made me think of Danny DeVito. Is there some sort of yeah. like, 1920s horror film? <laughs> Danny DeVito's actually a vampire. You know what? This actually said. now does make a lot of sense for the true. aesthetic of the Penguin, Penguin in Batman Returns. Yeah, I actually had to pause it and look it up to see if it was the same actor. And it, it is not so Danny similar. DeVito. I know. And it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, though. I mean, they did. They both looked the exact same. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but honestly, like, as far as Dracula stories go, it's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it, it's great. I mean, I, I think it's so... This one, obviously, I think visually, with the exception of Nosferatu himself, is like way more grounded in reality. Oh yeah. Um, just like visually, right. which I think you know, kind of obviously makes Nosferatu the character stick out like way more. And also, then the whole time I was watching this movie, I was like, why are you not immediately disturbed by this? Man? Dude, try to drink your blood off of your yeah. finger. <laughs> He's like, I'm pretty sleep. sure he did. Go I'm pretty sleep. sure that he did, like, get full contact. Unsettling. I mean, the, the, guy, the guy's like, oh, I'm going to back away from you. But, oh, you want me to sit down and go to sleep? I'll do that. Okay. That's fine. All right. That mm-hmm. seems reasonable. <laughs> no, like, no sense of stranger danger whatsoever in this man. No, Hutter, and, and I, again, I could be mistaken about this. I, I still haven't looked into it. But if I'm not mistaken, Hutter essentially is kind of almost like the name Wickus in District 9. It's kind of like the name of, like, a, a fucking simpleton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that that's kind of the whole gag of him being called. She had, she had all the wrong reactions to everything throughout mm-hmm. that whole movie. I was like, sir, <laughs> sir, no. Uh, yeah. I think one of the one of the things that I really enjoyed about watching both of these movies back to back is how you also see early in the silent film era, Caligari is almost a little bit clunky Mm. in the sense of like these massive blocks Mm -hmm. paragraphs of text that you just kind of have to like sift through you know whereas this manages to actually become something more like a modern cinematic experience of letting things play out using quicker dialogue the pacing's better i think it's like a much tighter told story than Mm -hmm. Caligari is and yes, yeah. then it feels like a little bit more heading towards like modern blockbustery kind of like a little zippier, a little bit yes, less text heavy. Um, for yeah. yeah, but I think that also stems from the fact that he is just no offense to to Murnau. I think that also stems from the fact that he is just stealing. You know, like he's stealing a yeah. working story, whereas yeah. Caligari is, of course, like presenting you That's something totally new. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I, I I did enjoy Nosferatu. Again, this is the first time I watched it. Um, so I knew what to expect, obviously, because I'm like, oh, I know it's Dracula. I didn't realize that it was the exact same story yes. <laughs> as Dracula. 
that was a surprise. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was like, okay, this is fine. Um, what I found interesting and what I was trying to watch it, and I haven't really had time to really look into, to do all the research on it that I would normally do. Um, but trying to look at movies from that time and trying to figure out like, okay, where were their head spaces at? You know, like what were they trying to say about the world? And obviously, you know, you, you spoke about like thematically, it was about um, virginity, purity, uh, you know, uh, lust. But I also think it does a good job at um, kind of showing what we're dealing with today to an extent. Like they were dealing with an epidemic. Uh, yeah, there's you know, the he, plague plot. Yeah. The plague plot you know where Nosferatu actually brings the rat plague there and obviously there was the rat plague that you know the bubonic plague and um you know them bringing all the rats over and all that stuff but also um I think you can get a little bit more sinister with it uh I'd have to do some like a lot of research um but what I was getting out of it was almost like in the realm of offense and what Germany was heading toward, especially with like World War II and hate speech and things like that. And I think it was really me probably looking at like films like Inglorious Bastards and other uh, films about World War II and specifically calling, uh, you know, Jewish people, you know, like rats and equating them to like rats. And if you look at the design mm. of Nosferatu himself, he does look like oh, he has rat characteristics yeah, and he's influencing, right. And he comes from a ship and he's spreading disease and influence. And I'm like, I really don't know if this is like a hate speech, but like I could see them actually using it later on as like reference to the German people. Being That's like, an interesting read. Yeah. Because that was what came out none of my of that head plague when I was watching necessarily... it. None of the plague stuff, is, if I'm recalling correctly, I don't remember that really happening in like the OG Dracula story. See, I, I think that is super interesting. I think I read it a little bit more as sort of like, um, like social contagion and mm -hmm. this concept of of fear and how that can be like a plague and spread through a place. But like, I no, I hadn't thought about that read at all. I don't know what's the thought got into my head and it really was you know inglorious bastards um yeah. you know and he's talking about the rat you know the jew rat essentially and i was just this like, foreign influence yeah. i was this, like i really don't know if this is what they're doing but maybe this ancient wealthy evil power yeah. that moves in and ruins the neighborhood mm -hmm. mm. and then i felt bad about watching it <laughs> Son of a bitch, Sky. Damn. Oh, man. Shit. You really... Damn. Yeah. I don't know but I don't know. I mean, that's just one read. I don't know. I mean, I think no, it could but, like, be I think it makes sense. A lot. Yeah. I think it really makes sense. Yeah. Damn. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I'm going to have to chew on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that one for a little while. I'm sorry. Just ruined no <laughs> Immediate amended temporary <laughs> score of a 2.5 until yeah! I can figure out how I feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> Son yeah. of a bitch. Wow. No, that's good. 
But it is interesting, though. I mean, the film yeah. itself was interesting, you know, beyond beyond that. I thought they did a great job at telling the story the way that they were going to tell it. And uh, I love oh, yeah. the very end with the puff of smoke yeah. where he's just like fading and then he disappears and there's just a little smoke pile on the ground. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh my god! I, I think so hard. I think one of the other things that you get to see with this movie um, versus Caligari is the fact that, like, you know, I I think that sometimes people think of silent film as having only certain ways of doing things. You know, first off, I think that people obviously forget that silent films had any color. Period. Yeah. A. Yeah. B. I think that. Um, a lot of them think that it's either sepia or black and white, when really you also had literally just full tintings like Which pink and blue so and red. And and so I think that it, it it's I think that both of these films do provide as a pairing a really interesting way to see how the same genre was happened two years apart, you know, uh, you know, with mm-hmm. in completely different hands. And how that medium and how that that format could be used in entirely different ways, and how also there were different innovations yeah. even in that time period that led to different techniques. Because you're right. Like I thought they did such a wonderful job of like creating a different sense of like time of day and even kind of like mood with you know like the sort of like cool blues whenever they were outside or there was you know like something sort of like nefarious foot and then like the sort of yellow light from the candlelight or the sun um and then yeah you know it's like dawn and dusk these sort of like in between hours as like a sort of pink tone um i i yeah i really loved that i thought it just was such a clever way of like in a medium where it might be somewhat difficult at times to tell like what time of day this is supposed to be set in um of like very clearly visually like delineating that the kind of setting different sort of um, visual tones for each. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love that they actually used went on location mm-hmm. for a lot mm-hmm. of it. Like yeah. a lot of it really was location based. I thought that was wonderful. But I was also kind of missing because, uh, you know, I've seen Dur Golem and I've seen, um, you know, Cabernet Dr. Caligari. And I want to see a lot more German Expressionist films. I didn't, I haven't really seen too much. Um, you know, but I was hoping to see some of those geometric shapes and a lot more of those harsh shadows, but there wasn't. And I think, you know, once you get to the point where Nosferatu is, you know, you got that classic shot of him ascending the staircase and he's using the shadow to look even bigger than he is. Great stuff. Great, great stuff. But I thought they could have done some, some great work if they used geometric shapes to their advantage. I agree. I think they could have done more with that especially like in his kind of like castle and things like that I think I was hoping like interior wise to get more of that same sort of like visual sense um to sort of like lend itself um and like I didn't mind it as much in the scenes where he was kind of like out and about like um because I I think it is good to have him as sort of like visually different from everyone else but I I was hoping that you would get a little bit more of that visually and like sort of you know like his like realm so to speak um, yeah. and get a little bit more of that kind of like weirdness and that, that sort of like visual difference. Yeah. But I did love the static shots of him just standing. Like yes. when he is just, you know, standing there looking awkward and so terrifying. Creepy. So creepy. Oh my yeah. God. There's, 
Yeah, there's this yeah. scene where he has like moved and he's living across the street from them, which is hilarious yeah. to me. And he's just standing in their fucking window. And <laughs> I know. So, and he's like barely moving and it's like so unsettling that I was like, oh my God, it's yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. So Sky, what would you give uh, Nosferatu? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I'd say probably right now, because I've only seen it once. I would say hmm, maybe three and a half. Maybe three okay. and a half for me. Um, hmm. I would say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a four. Um, remove a point for basically just copy-pasting 100% plagiarizing someone else's work. <laughs> um, but there's like also, one thing I really did like is I felt like there were almost like elements of sort of like a campiness, like with a poof of smoke and stuff like that, that I just found like very funny. And yeah. I don't, I, again, I think it was like a little bit more tightly told, a little bit more modern, it felt like at times. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's like a more fun film to watch. Um, it's like a, it's a good laugh. I, I loved it. Max Shrek absolutely kills it. I'm like obsessed with his performance in that. Yeah. Yeah, he was tremendous. No, yeah. Um, and if you see, like, the actual picture of the actor, you know, he looks nothing at all like Orlock. Um, yeah. And it's so it's incredible makeup work. And so yeah, the, the other thing everything. that you do get with both of these films is two incredible performances, Conrad Veidt um, as Caesar and um, Max Schreck as Orlock of incredible actors in makeup who understand physicality and understand how to use that physicality to either, you know, incredible movement or incredible stillness, mm -hmm. both of which to incredible effect. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, he, uh, Max Schreck, he was just, he was great. Like mm -hmm. he was amazing. And I do agree with the campiness, you know, I, uh, you know, the movie's still so fresh that I just kind of forgot about some of the campiness that was in it. But, you know, the the performance of um, Hargrave, which is how I know him, because that's how Tubi had it. Uh, whatever his name was in the version you guys watched. Uh, you know, he was he was great, too, because he really was, you know, I, I kind of picture it if it was made today, it would be like Paul Rudd, you know, because yeah. he was just he was so aloof. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, 100 percent. Werner Herzog remade this movie in 79 mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, so if you ever want to see also how, like, you know, for the for the listeners, how the same story is handled, there you yeah. have it. Go and watch the 22 and then the 79. I know um, I grew up on a movie called Salem's Lot. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and I think the vampire, the master that they use yeah. in that movie very much resembles Nosferatu in this film, yeah. which I thought was very interesting that they went that route. Um, you know, and then there's also the, the show, the series that came out a couple of years ago, Nos number four, Atu. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that existed for a little bit too. Nothing like the movie, no. but, but um, uh, you know, honestly, it's about I vampires. Also, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does indeed. Um, honestly, I also thought that the vampire creature that the alchemist becomes in Kronos 
if you've seen mm-hmm. that. Uh, we mm-hmm. talked about that last week. I thought that the the body of it looked very much more like an Orlock vampire. It's this weird white, muscular, you know, sort of sinewy, weird thing. Um, which yeah. is also, I think, kind of the basis for the for the vampires of Penny Dreadful as well. This form of vampire clearly has, again, has sticking power, much like um, the imagery of Cap- Caligari has. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always, I always like seeing, because I feel like there's like two ways people go with vampires. It's either like very human and just kind of like sexy, smolder vampire. Mm-hmm. But I also really like it when they lean a little bit more into like the monstrous aspects of it. Like if you, you see it, <laughs> and like Buffy, they can transform mm-hmm. into like the creepy looking dudes. Or yeah, like. Uh, in those 30 days a night yeah 30 days a night like very mm-hmm. very creepy otherworldly looking or yeah can you just what even um, and I always think it's like interesting seeing that visually and also like kind of wondering what that means about the story that that particular like writer director is trying to tell and why they mm-hmm. lean into one versus the other no for sure because you know for Dracula in um Francis Ford Coppola's when he has not fed really thoroughly in a while and really gone through that full process he looks a little bit more abnormal with the ultra white skin and the ultra white hair but then once he feeds thoroughly and once he sleeps then he's fully rejuvenated and then once he's essentially you know like gotten back into it he's then finally like at his his Mm -hmm. sexiest (laughs) Yeah, I love it when filmmakers do that, right? Yeah. Like, um, this isn't anything like this movie, but Hostel, I don't know if you guys have watched yeah. Hostel, but like, you know, when they go and they see these girls, you know, in their heads, they're they're beautiful. They're like beautiful women. And then when they realize what's going on and they meet them in the warehouse again, like you start to see like their flaws that they have on their yeah. face. And it's just, it's very interesting how filmmakers play with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no for sure yeah definitely uh, but Paul what was your rating I don't think you gave your rating yeah, on it did you uh, did I mess you up did you have a five no I was still going to probably come in low I don't know where I want to put it now I- I'll go three and a half <laughs> um, uh, it's very I interesting I-, I did really enjoy it I, I- you know I put my phone away from me because it is a silent film and I think it's very easy to just kind of distract yourself. Exactly. And uh, I had to put it away out of arm's re- reach. And uh, I just sat down and just absorbed myself into it. Um, and I think you have to, if you do want to watch this film, get your electronic devices away from you, you know? Yeah. And I think that applies with any silent film or, yeah. you know, because <laughs> there's not much to grab your attention. No, and the, with like the words pop up on the screen, like uh, first time I tried watching Dr. Caligari, I had my phone with me and I had to be like, God damn it. And like, just put it away because I was like, look down for a second and something like photo texted me. And then I missed like a whole thing of text. And I was like, man, I gotta go back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they can't reveal it anymore in dialogue. Nope. Nope. <laughs> no exposition <laughs> for you. Yeah, you, gotta, just... you gotta go back to figure out what yeah. this is. Yeah, no. No, that's fair. Um. No, I, I I think that they're both great. Um, neither of them are, are things that I necessarily go back to, but I do think that 
um, Nosferatu is probably the more watchable for a, for a modern audience. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that is very yeah. fair. You know, it really was like uh, I remember the the Van Helsing part, and he's talking about carnivorous plants. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's interesting, but I don't know where this came from. Correct. Like this, this just <laughs> came out of nowhere. Yes. Uh. You know, so I was like, what if they just took that part out? What would I what would I really think about the movie at this point? Like, what is it adding to it? And I think it really mm-hmm. was like, we just want to show on camera this Venus flytrap eating yeah. his fly. I think, I think there were a couple moments in the film where when he talks about, like, uh, they have, like, what is, like, the hyena that shows up at one point. And it's like, why yeah. would that be there? And I kind of feel like they were just sort of like, let's put some cool shit on screen because mm-hmm. we can't. <laughs> A hyena showed up on set, guys. We gotta film it. Yeah. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta specifically. And we, but we were talking too, and I was like, I wonder how many people that was like the first time they'd ever seen like, like a hyena. And they probably and they didn't probably know what the fuck it was. Yeah, yeah. They were like, a vampire. What the fuck yeah, am I seeing like, oh on God. screen? <laughs> so I have never seen that wild dog thing yeah. ever. Probably maybe no. the thing with the Venus flytrap. Maybe, yeah. maybe that just blew people's minds. They were like, holy shit, plants can do murders. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, before we before we wrap, I did want to talk quickly about um, a movie called Fright Night, 1980s. Mm-hmm. Yes! I love love Fright Night so much. so much. It's on my watch list uh, for Halloween because I just love it. Um, you know, but you're talking about pretty and, uh, you know, horrific vampires yeah, yeah. and i think that movie does a great job Such of showing job. you both Yay. right you have chris sarandon you have the smolder he's like the epitome of 80s yes. hotness right mm-hmm. like the dude's a good looking dude yeah and then you have you know when he transforms oh yeah it's is like this hideous. awful monster yeah. you know mm-hmm. and then evil ed you know he oh god he does a little so weird awful. thing he, but he, he, he looks a little weird to begin with no offense to ed. I <laughs> right, mean, like, right right vampire transformation did not it didn't work for him it didn't work it didn't the, work. the spiky Thank hair you. didn't work <laughs> no that was not good so but they did a good job at showing both worlds i think i agree i agree i totally agree um also i just love that movie so fucking much it's again it's, talk about campy it's it's so good it's though. a perfect it. film it's yeah so it's good. perfect um no i i think that that's a good uh, example also of uh for me a remake that of another classic horror film that i think kind of got a little bit overlooked because i don't think people realized how much of it was about the housing crisis oh, the remake of Fright Night? yeah yeah mm-hmm. david yeah, tennant no. was amazing david tennant yeah. is I mean, yes. It's, it's not, not as good as the first it's one, not, but I think no. that it gets a little bit overlooked and written off as just like, oh, another shit like remake. But I think that it has more going on than like the Friday the 13th remake. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Tony Collette, Colin Farrell, David Tennant. Great cast. Uh, uh, Anton Yelkin. Yeah. 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 Anton Yelkin. Imogen Poots, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. It's not as good as the no. OG, but I still thought it was like a very, very good film. And yes, David Tennant just pulls it. At so charismatic. Takes the shit out of it, and it's beautiful, and I loved it. Um, yeah. On, I guess on on that note, um, honestly, the only other thing that I wanted to mention, truthfully, uh, was a little update since I have been giving continued coverage on the IATSE strike. 
So they almost, uh, the top of the, the group kind of came to an early tentative agreement um, that then the media very much hyped up as like an agreement. Um, but the group hadn't, the, the group overall, the different voting bodies of the IATSC, right, because it's broken up into different union groups, hadn't seen the agreement yet. And essentially they found it lacking because even though it included a guaranteed, I believe, 52-hour weekend, and I think guaranteed like 10 or 12-hour turnaround between shoots, um, they still found it lacking overall. Uh, so they went back to the, the negotiating table kind of with that, and there has been an update, and it's now going to be voted upon by the group at large, but essentially it is a wage increase for several different groups of people for uh, streaming specific video, um, along with video at large, but especially the streaming side of it. And it's going to, over the next four to five years, increase uh, the bottom most paid people from essentially like around 19 an hour to like 26 an hour. Um, so that's, that's a little, yeah. Um, that's a little update for you. You can, of course, look further into it. I'll probably find some sort of um, credible link maybe to, to, to post, so that way you can look at the agreement further. But, you know, it's proof that, that solidarity and transparency also in, in what's being talked about is the way that you get positive change in a movement. Uh, and I, I, I think that they're doing a, a bang-up job, and, and I'm, I'm glad to see progress happen in an industry, especially since, you know, Today, especially, we had like two different Warner Brothers stories break about that was crazy. You know, toxic yeah. culture. And, you know, one is a confirmation of the Ray Fisher story, and, and another one is just what happened on the set of Batgirl, and they've already fired back. I'll cover that one more probably next week when we have more details. But, you know, at a, at a time when it's obvious that the studio is behaving badly, yeah. it is nice to see the people who it, that sort of behavior affects the most fighting back and, yeah. and reclaiming a little bit of dignity in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before I leave, uh, yeah. I do want to say, um, just kind of recap what I have watched recently um so i guess this month has been obviously filled with horror but ones that have really stood out for me have been um the series midnight mass of course um i watched saint maud for the first time loved it so much that last frame of that movie is insane um let's see i watched VHS 94 on Shutter. That was fun. Um, I like all the VHS films. So I thought they were pretty good. Uh, I watched Seance. And then I watched... Um, oh, gosh. Oh, Censor. I finally watched Censor because that was on... I watched it. I watched it on Hulu. Um, it was wild. What a wild ride. Yes. Very creative. Very... Very interesting ideas. That's how it leans so heavy into like Giallo and stuff too. Like so visually, yeah. I thought it was like a stunning. Visually, it was amazing, and I loved the ideas that were presented. Um, yeah. I 
I think there were a couple of moments where I may have just gotten confused or a little lost. Uh, yeah. But I think since this is like her first directorial debut, yeah. she, she is someone to look out for. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. She is. She's going to have a great career, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I have watched. What have you guys watched? I do. I don't. I want to know. Oh, okay. Well, I, so also again, like St. Maude and Spencer, both of which I'm like totally obsessed with. I think they're such intriguing. Um, I think St. Maude is a perfect film. Like, I, I really I, think it's... I 100% agree. It is a perfect movie. Um, and I really like the idea of like watching those two to like together because I think in some senses they're like very similar and that it's like two women sort of um, dealing with trauma mm-hmm. and uh also sort of like madness of various types um yeah i loved both of them such good such good movies um obviously watched nosferatu this month um i'm trying to think of like anything else that's like newer oh i watched brand new cherry flavor i want to watch that it's on my list it's absolutely wild i loved it um very very good highly recommend it's definitely kind of trippy but um yeah i i loved i loved it really really good so highly recommend that to anyone the Um, actress in it is great i don't know if you guys have watched undone but she's amazing she's amazing i think the only thing i've seen her in is um like uh alita battling alita yeah 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 no she was absolutely fantastic in this though she was great um highly highly recommend watching that show um I'm trying to think of like anything else that's like oh the remake of Slumber Party Massacre was amazing. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. That's on my list. I want to see. It was that. a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's about it. Although I have read some horror, and I did recently read uh, Carmilla, which was very very good and predates Dracula by like twenty years. Uh oh. Yeah. Someone was influenced. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, highly recommend that. It's like very short, so I guess if you want to do like some horror reading, yeah, definitely check that out. Okay. And and Flanagan is going to be doing, you know, talking about adapting, but Flanagan mm-hmm. is going to be adapting ha- uh, the Fall of the House of uh-huh. Usher. Yes, yes, which I'm very excited about that. About. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, what have you watched? Ah, uh, Lord. Um, so obviously the stuff that I've really been watching is mostly the content that, that I've been making. So if you want to know what I've been watching and how I feel about it, go back. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I've been honestly trying to get, <laughs> I gave myself the impossible task of the, of the, stra- of the slasher extravaganza. And so, so you're going through all the nightmare films, right? And all the Friday the 13th films and the Halloween yeah, I films. I've watched Every Halloween movie except the Rob Zombie ones, I had to take a little Halloween break. Mm-hmm. Um, I am currently at Nightmare on Elm Street 3 mm-hmm. and Friday the 13th 3. I just watched Friday the 13th Part 3 today. Loved the 3D effects. Um, <laughs> the snake, right? Oh, Coming yeah, at the, the camera. The yo-yo. And the yo-yo. Especially one of my favorites. Um, yeah. So I still have like 20 movies, 19 God. movies left to go of both of those franchises. Plus I'm trying to actually, since he's the only black slasher, I'm trying to also do the other Candyman movies. Yeah. 
So I've got a, a fucking mountain that I've been trying to slowly make my way through. Um, so that's what I've been watching most immediately. Um, yeah. I, I've already decided next month every episode uh, is one movie an episode. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive, though. I mean, I think it's crazy, but I think it's impressive yeah. nonetheless. I, uh, I watched the Candyman movies pretty recently. I watched the first three Hellraisers pretty recently. Um, okay. I haven't seen the new Candyman yet. I really want to, though. Um, I really like the first one, uh, and I'm interested in this. The new first one. one is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I saw Halloween Kills. That's the newest movie that I have seen. Uh, we got to talk I, about that at some point. Because I've given I'm, you my thoughts. Sky, I'm a thousand words into my essay on on Halloween <laughs> Kills. Um, so, and I'm not done. Uh, I absolutely love it. The The theater that we were thinking about going to was pretty busy and I just still don't feel 100% comfortable if it's like a busy theater. Um, right. So I ended up just paying the the five bucks for a month of Peacock. I'm going to, I'm going to cancel it in like two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And Lauren and I watched it that night and I was floored by it. And we woke up the next day and I watched it again. Um, uh-huh. So I've seen it twice already. I may watch it a third time. I'm trying to convince my mom to watch it. So, yeah, hell yeah. That's one. (laughs) There you go. Um, That's probably the newest thing that I've seen. And hot damn, have I. Your your wife is in the background, right? Somewhere off to the side. I have not seen her yet. No, yeah, she's over here. And what's her name? Lauren. 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 Hi, Lauren. <laughs> You've been a voice. I haven't really seen you, though. Yeah. Uh, did Did you like it? Did you like Halloween yeah, Kills? Yeah, this guy wants to know if you enjoyed Halloween Kills. Oh, I did. I did very much. It's brutal. I hated it, but I loved it. But I hated it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I hear that, though. I hear that a lot on the internet, that it is, uh, you know, very brutal. And I agree. I think it is brutal. But I also, you know, I think we can probably do a whole podcast about this real fast. But I don't think that it's as brutal as some of the other instances of the series, especially the 2018 film with yeah. that bathroom yeah. sequence. Oh, I think the was bathroom just... The bathroom sequence pretty bad. Really bad insane you know i watched it again when halloween kills came out and i was just remembering like 2018 i didn't really feel uncomfortable watching it when i'm watching it now i was like yeah i don't really this makes me feel weird like this just makes me feel so awkward well um i think when i was re-watching halloween kills one of these times i went back and i was thinking about halloween and i think so much of halloween kills in a weird way manages to go back and enrich the first Halloween, at least for me. Um, Two people demand Michael speak in Halloween. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on a jack. Uh, And I could probably put this in the slasher extravaganza, but this is kind of just, I guess, a a teaser of where my brain is at with it. Um, Two people demand Michael speak in Halloween. It's the podcaster and it is Dr. Uh, Sartain. Mm Mm-hmm. Neither of them, both of them want him to speak for them. And both of them want him to say different things because both of them are, are compelling him to speak for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I think that the podcaster is looking for either some sort of humanity 
or some sort of confirmation of a monster. And I think that Dr. Sartain is looking for some sort of answer as to why he's a monster. I think both of them are missing the fact that violence is how he speaks. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why both of them get treated to particularly brutal examples of how Michael speaks. He stomped that dude's head in. Like, that was (laughs) crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, um, you know, Michael Myers is is so iconic. I think it really could be, you know, if you look at a film like Halloween Resurrection with Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks, iconic. some people really love that film. It's so I much am, fun. I am not one of those people. And I think it really is, you know, like if you put Michael Myers on the screen, no matter what it is, people are just going to love it. Some people are really yeah. just going to love it. Same thing applies yeah. with like Leatherface chucky all the big icons doesn't matter what kind of movie it is they're like iron man or batman or superman but for an entirely different group of people yeah some people really love iron man too i don't know them but i'm sure that they exist we're talking to one (laughs) (laughs) that's another day that's another i can't i can't that's a whole nother um no, I, I think we'll have to I have to come onto your show at some point and, and we'll have a we'll have a good little chat. Please do. Yeah. yeah. I uh you know, we can really have fun, I think, with Halloween um yeah. and Iron Man too. Because yeah. now I'm very interested. <laughs> yeah. Sky is available at um the weekly pop up. Um Madeline, um I'll I'll post whatever socials you feel comfortable, I guess, with me posting. Um yeah. And Sky, I'll, I'll share your stuff. As always, follow us at the Film Buds podcast at Instagram or the Film Buds at Twitter. Um, send us listener questions. Send us movie suggestions. Uh, I, I actually have one that I'm still trying to work into the, the content calendar somehow. I haven't figured out yet. Um, but thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, tune in next week which should be our slasher extravaganza episode. And you'll find out if I made it to the end um, of of my mountain of homework. Uh, But as always, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Have a good evening and we'll talk to you later. Bye.